join me by standing and opening your Bible, if you have it, or your Bible app, and find the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, if the Bible is a new book to you. Oh, I got to get these on. Okay, here we go. Words, people. Words, people. That's what I do all the time. Okay. So we're going to look at chapter 16, and what we tell the kids down in the kids' zone is that's the big number on the page, and the little numbers are the verses, okay? So we're going to look at chapter 16, starting at verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red in in the morning. Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls we gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. May God bless the reading of this amazing ancient word that still comes up jumping out us in the page. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself asking this question? Why did I do that? Oh, about everybody. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Okay. Maybe it's you have spent an hour scrolling Facebook. We know the finger. Or Twitter, which is now X, which I don't know. When I first opened Twitter, and I don't use that very much, X just seemed a little scary to me. Snapchat, Instagram, LinkedIn, WeChat. And then the inner dialogue in your mind that happens when you do something you know is not the wisest choice for your safety healthy health and well-being it feels as if in a split second (laughs) you are doing something thinking about a situation or are in a situation that you never thought you would ever find yourself in distracted by clickbait swipe bait landing in an unwanted space it may look something like this it's morning You're sitting in your favorite chair with a cup of coffee. Now, this may sound like, oh, she's painting a picture of herself. 
what I'm doing. You get settled in with a great time with the Lord. You place your thumb on that home button and your phone begins, you be, to, to begin your prayer routine and your phone lightens up with <laughs> cheerful dings, messages adorned with little red dots like chicken pots that are itchy and annoying. And little red dots trigger a response in your brain. And here's a little side note. Did you know that the alerts from your phone and even the anticipation of them shuts off the prefrontal cortex that regulates higher level thinking skills and cognitive functions and instead focuses the brain to send emergency signals to the body? That means that every time you get a notification, your body gets a rush, but not necessarily a good one. Says, shares Dr. Sanim Hafiz, psychologist and professor at Columbia University in New York, New York City. And before you know it, back to our scenario, you're distracted by social media posts and you're engaged in this mind-soul battle between envying the nice vacation that your friend on Facebook took in Europe or being grateful for your staycation at home. And before you know it, you have entered this TARDIS. You know what a TARDIS is? That's that red thing that Dr. Who used, and he would jump in and go places. And so it's like entering the TARDIS of social comparison, affecting your mental health. Read the latest statistics on that that may or may not return you to who you truly are in Jesus Christ. I have been there recently. I do not speak like a person who has not been there. I speak as a sister in Jesus Christ who is concerned for our souls. So today we are going to take steps to eliminate distraction and replace it with a practice of reflection. That's the next slide there, my friend. Thank you. Eliminate distraction, replace it with reflection through participation in the Holy Spirit to give traction to our faith. First, we must understand that like the disciples, we get distracted. <laughs> from the, and specifically, we get distracted from the truth of who we are and whose we are. So by distraction, I'm referring to anything that gets our faith off course or our minds off Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So let's dig deeper into verses 5 to 7. They're going to be on your screen. So when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't, get any, we didn't bring any bread. And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls we collected or gathered? So when Jesus says to to the disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. 
Other versions say, um, watch and beware of the leaven. So yeast and leaven are kind of interchangeable words in in this passage. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So what is he saying to his disciples? And what is he saying to us today? The disciples had gotten distracted by the working of leaven. Now, I'm thinking of leaven. Leaven is a pervasive influence that modified their thinking. Pervasive influence, kind of like a weed, I think. No, pervasive influence that modified their thinking. Here, the pervasive influence, or leaven, was the Pharisees and Sadducees, who earlier tried to test Jesus with a sign, pretending that they were really even willing to be convinced. However, they had witnessed healings, They had witnessed miracles that Jesus had done. So it was kind of like they're pretending. The irony was that the Pharisees and Sadducees were asking him for a sign, but they were blind to the many signs that were already around them. And as followers of Jesus, we need to interrupt the cycle of default living to be aware of leaven that distracts us from who we are in Christ and how we live as followers of Jesus Christ. Leaven, again, refers to outside influencers that pervasively modify our thinking, pulling us away and distracting us from the truth. Leaven. In a moment's notice, leaven can be a click on Facebook where I see somebody's amazing vacation. I say, "Ah, I see somebody's amazing vacation, and I start entertaining discontent with what God's given me. Or when I take on some untruth that culture says is true, for example, you do you. And I take that on as my motto of I'm going to do what I want to do or whatever I please. There's a ton of them out there. There's a lot of leaven. Those are just two examples. You you probably, as you're inviting the Holy Spirit, you you, you know, to to help you think of some, you're going to think of some leaven or outside influencers that take you off course of what Jesus' word says, what his truth says. Let's face it, our world is a Snapchat world that struggles giving the loyalty of our attention to anything. See something quick and move on. And in fact, did you know that there's an entire economy built upon attention studies? Increasingly articulating ways in which our screen-based culture steals our attention Rings, ads, alerts, offers, messages, all taking our attention, shifting it here and there and, any, and anywhere, and what one scholar calls the plasticity of attention. The attention economy banks on our willingness to be distracted. Does that scare you? It does me when I walk into Meijer and I'm going grocery shopping and then on my phone there's a Meijer ad. I'm like, how'd you know I was at Meijer? 
Has that happened to anybody else? Yeah, and I'm walking along, and I get, a, I get this thing, and there's an economy built off of our distractibility, my friends. What is happening in all of this distraction is the human soul is withering. Do you remember, this is not in my notes, but it just popped in my brain. I always have to be careful of that because sometimes I, <laughs> you remember the witch in the, the uh, Wizard of Oz and how her feet like, like that? And it was like, I remember as a kid thinking that is so traumatic. But imagine your soul like those feet of the witch like dying and going back underneath that house. You, the human soul is withering, my friends, because we are distracted. Our soul that involves our mind and our spirit that hears God, sees God, experiences God, and will, if we choose to follow, will live with him forever. It's withering. And the human soul that's central to personhood and being a human being, giving God our undivided attention is what scripture refers to as single-heartedness or purity of heart. So to remove the leaven that so easily distracts our soul, we must be ruthlessly disciplined. Yeah, you can go ahead and head back there, my friend, to that previous slide. That man there is John Mark Comer, and he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We need to ruthlessly eliminate in order to cultivate keystone habits. That is habits and practices that center our hearts on Jesus so that we may live in the fullness of who he's created us to be. So a little history. Historically at Passover, one of the greatest Jewish festivals, all leaven had to be cleaned out of the house, commemorating the time when the children of Israel left Egypt in such a hurry that they didn't even have time to bake leavened bread and so ate it unleavened. And gradually, leaven became a symbol, not for something that makes bread more palatable, but for something that makes bread less pure. Warning against the leaven of someone's teaching meant warning against ways in which the true message of God's kingdom could be corrupted, diluted, or watered down. So what leaven in your life is causing destruction to your soul, distracting you from Jesus. It could be even how we think about our time. If we constantly rehearse the narrative, like I don't have time. Or if we constantly rehearse the narrative of anxiety, where we, we don't enter situations or we don't uh, engage with people or we, because we, we entertain a narrative, our mind gets fixed on something that's distracting us from Jesus and from the community of faith that wants us to grow in relationship with, with Jesus. The next question to think about is what keystone habits and practices 
would center your heart on Jesus so that you may live in the fullness of who he's created you to be. Could it possibly be that because we're so distracted and our souls are withering that the reason we're upset and depressed and anxious is because we're not living in the fullness of who God made us to be and understanding how much he loves us. One spiritual discipline that uh, reorients a person's soul on the creator or God is reflection. Now, I'm not talking about looking at a lake and seeing yourself. (laughs) I'm not talking about, you know, like a reflection in a mirror. But the practice of Jesus, it's a counter habit to that of our flesh, okay? It's when we are distracted by leaven or outside outside influencers, reading scripture and reflecting on who God is reorients us back to true north, back on center, Jesus. So reflection looks like, and some of you practice this already, some of this might be a new thing, reflection looks and sounds like contemplating and considering scripture, who Jesus is, and who he is in, in uh, day by day, maybe reflecting on your faith journey to this point in your life. What is, so some questions when you're reflecting, some questions to think about. What has he done in your life or in the lives of others? Read his words, the Bible. And read historical accounts after historical account. And you will see how much his loving pursuit of humans is, is portrayed in scripture. Some other questions might be, uh, when did I choose to follow Jesus? Where have I identified God's presence in my life? How has he made his presence known to me? How is he cultivating my faith? And invite God to unearth roots of pervasive influence, leaven like the Pharisees and Sadducees, to produce, and I'm going to fall off this stage if I'm not careful, to produce lasting fruit. (laughs) One of the greatest obstacles that you may face when taking time. So let's let's go back here. Yeah. One of the greatest obstacles. Yeah. So here we go. We can. Eliminate distraction, replace it with reflection through participation with the Holy Spirit to give traction to our faith. So an obstacle. An obstacle that you uh, might face (laughs) when you are um, in the practice of reflection or, or thinking about this idea of eliminate distraction is patience. Patient reflection is tough. So like in a culture where we rather go really wide than go deep, patient reflection is hard work. Reject the impulse, because you'll feel this when you're sitting down with the Lord and you're, you're thinking about these questions. One of the things might happen, one of the things that might happen is that you might feel this impulse for a quick answer rather than a hard answer. 
God is not shackled by the priorities and demands of our timetable. He's not shackled by the priorities and demands of our timetable, my friends. If anything, I forget to live in his. So as you replace distraction with reflection, remember the big picture of who the Father is and what he is famous for. What is he famous for? We have amazing symbols all over this place that remind us of what he was famous for. We have a cross that reminds us that he gave his only son to make a way for us, that he offered forgiveness of sins. <laughs> we have beautiful stained glass windows, and those stained glass windows, when you look at them and you see the colors, I don't know about you, but I think about how beautiful our intergenerational, multicultural family is, how beautiful the world outside is. There are many others. We have an altar here, just like in the ancient scriptures, where there was a place called an altar, where people did some business with God. So replace distraction with reflection. We've got to remember the big picture of who the Father is and what he is famous for. Hindsight is 2020, but it is the best place where we tend to see the move of God clearest. We look back in our past and can reflect on God's present with presence with us today. Maybe you need to do this, reserve some time, you and God, to meet up. Or consider inviting the Holy Spirit to interrupt your cycle of default living. Or consider focusing your attention and reflecting on who God is. Maybe there's a source of leaven in your life that you are thinking about right now. That's not because of anything I said. That's because of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's a source of leaven. It came to the forefront of your mind that has misoriented your center. And instead of God as your center, you see self. The Spirit will reorient us to Jesus. Did you hear that? The Spirit will reorient us to Jesus. So anybody know Ken Davis, author and comedian Ken Davis? He tells, if he, he, tells us, he tells this story. In college, I was asked to prepare a lesson to teach my speech class. We were to be graded on our creativity and ability to drive home a point in a memorable way. The title of my talk was The Law of the Pendulum. I spent 20 minutes carefully teaching the physical principle that governs a swinging pendulum. The law of the pendulum is a pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. If you've ever seen a pendulum, you know it never goes back to that point of where it was released. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until it is at rest. The point of rest is called the state of equilibrium, where all forces acting on the pendulum are equal. 
So Ken Davis says, I attached a, a three-foot string to a child's toy top and secured it to the top of the blackboard with a thumbtack. I pulled the top to one side, made a mark on the blackboard. That was the days of blackboards. Um, remember those? <laughs> Where I let it go. And each time it swung back, I made a mark. It took less than a minute for the top to complete its swinging and come to rest. And when I finished the demonstration, the markings on the blackboard proved his thesis. He says, then I asked how many people in the room believed the law of the pendulum was true. All of my classmates raised their hands and so did the teacher. He started to walk to the front of the room thinking the class was over, when in reality, it had just begun. <laughs> Hanging from the steel ceiling beams in the middle of the room was a large, crude, but functional pendulum with 250 pounds of metal weights tied to four strands of 500-pound test parachute cord. You picture it? <laughs> yeah. I invited the instructor to climb up on a table and sit in a chair with the back of his head against a cement wall. And then I brought the 250 pounds, he says, Ken Davis says, of metal up to his nose. <laughs> here's the teacher, here's the metal up to his nose. And my eyeballs would be like, ah! Okay. Holding, the holding it just an inch from his face, I once again explained the law of the pendulum. He had applauded only moments before. If the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release this mass of metal, it will swing across the room and return short of the release point. Your nose will be in no danger. <laughs> so after that final restatement of this law, Ken looked him in the eye and asked, Sir, do you believe the law is true? And there was a long pause. <laughs> <laughs> Huge beads of sweat formed on his forehead and on his lip, and then weakly the teacher nodded and whispered, yes. So guess what he did? He released the pendulum. It made a swishing sound as it arced across the room, and at the far end of its swing, it paused momentarily and started back. I never saw a man move so fast in his life, Ken says. He literally dove off the table. Deftly stepping around the still swinging pendulum, I asked the class, does he believe in the law of the pendulum? And the students unanimously said, what? No. Maybe you are here today, and you are investigating Jesus. Not a follower yet, but you're intrigued by his love and his lifestyle. And that isn't about what you, it isn't about what you do, but what he has already done for us. Or you may be sitting here thinking, yes, I believe that there are, there's leaven in my life that is influencing me away from truth away from Jesus, and, but faced with the swing back or the opportunity to eliminate distraction and replace it with reflection or the, and replacing it with truth, you flinch, not inviting the Holy Spirit to guide you into the kingdom life here and now, pursuing life-giving holiness. So 
let's, say it with me, ready? Let, so let's eliminate distraction, replace it with reflection through participation with the Holy Spirit to give traction to our faith. Now, all of us have leaven, outside influences in our lives that pull us away from truth. And I would invite you to consider an opportunity to sift through this leaven and the culture of confusion starting Sunday, September 17th, led by David King. David, are you here? Would you wave your hand? Here he is back there. Following the morning gathering, Sunday, September 17th, following the morning gathering based on a book called Saving Truth by Abdu Murray. Abdu Murray holds a bachelor's in psychology from the University of Michigan and a JD from the university. What is JD? Oh, thank you. Um, from the University of Michigan Law School. He is co-founder and president of Embrace the Truth, a ministry dedicated to offering the truth of the Christian gospel to Muslims. The nature, let's think again about leaven, the nature of leaven or yeast, remember, is to grow and to change whatever it contacts. So when we accept Jesus Christ and choose to follow Jesus, his grace grows in our hearts and it changes us from the inside out. And as the gospel transforms lives, it exerts a pervasive influence on the world at large. So my friends, as we reflect the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his likeness. With ever-increasing glory, it says in 2 Corinthians, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus is the influence we seek. So how can we live in such a way that Jesus looks at us and says, Oh, you of big faith. Big faith, where we leak the fruit of the Spirit. We leak patience, we leak gentleness, we leak kindness, we leak self-control. Big faith, where we know who we have believed and are, and, and are convinced that he is able to guard what we have entrusted to him to that day. Some of you may be thinking of the song in your mind. Big faith, where we remember who God is and desire life-giving holiness over acceptance and accumulation. And while we find ourselves in these spaces of forgetfulness, where we question God, we must ask ourselves, how did I get here? We are perplexed with present cares and distrusts, anxieties, because we do not duly remember our former experiences of God's divine power and goodness. Like the disciples, you may find yourself panicking and saying, we brought no bread. Allow the notification that you heed quickly, be the one from the Holy Spirit, not the one on your phone, but the one from the Holy Spirit warning you of that leaven and of the outside influences that may be restricting your traction of your faith. Remember, 
what God has already done in your life. Some of you are wondering, what, why does Kathy have a blue <laughs> ribbon tied to her finger? And it's because this, I'm a very visual person and I like things that remind me, I like symbols that remind me of truth. And, you know, you tie a little ribbon on your finger and what does it mean you do? You remember. There's, there's scientific research proving this fact that when you tie a ribbon to your finger, it causes something in your brain to remember. <laughs> I would have gazillion ribbons all over my fingers for a lot of different things, but remember what God has already done in your life. We need no signs. We just need to simply remember to seek first his kingdom, because as followers of Jesus, <laughs> we have the bread of life. We have Jesus. And Jesus can help us remember. Let's pray.